Hi, I'm Josh, and this is Little Wars FM. Welcome to part five of our podcast on how to design homebrew wargaming rules. In this episode, our designers Tom and Greg discuss how the game with the Battlefield Trust went. I have to apologize now for the sound because this was recorded by the guys immediately after the game in Brandywine while they were driving home. It was a hot day on the battlefield, and I'm sure they had the car air conditioning on full blast. So sit back in the comfort of your temperature-controlled dwelling and enjoy part five of How to Design Homebrew Wargaming Rules. Welcome back, Little Wars TV fans. I am Greg. I am joined here by Tom, and today is August 4th, so it has been uh, several weeks since we chatted. And Tom, there have been there have been some major developments in the last couple weeks, uh, not the least of which was that we actually played the big Brandywine game. That's right. A beautiful Sunday out of the battlefield with the American Battlefield Trust. It was, uh, it was stunning. The backdrop uh, really fit the tables very well. Yeah, it was a... A hot day, I would say. Uh, I think we all lost a couple of pounds. <laughs> and some layers of skin. And some, la- <laughs> some layers of skin. It was a roasting day out there. Uh, but it was a great game. I think the rules, the rules certainly worked well and uh, definitely confirmed our suspicions that we desperately needed something that could basically be played from a single page. That's right. Uh, given the, the teams we had there, we had... Uh, couple people who had never played a war game in their life. No, and, and they looked a little bewildered for the first hour of that's that That's right, <laughs> but within an hour, uh, they were holding the line and leading charges and really enjoying themselves. So I do think the rules uh, were well suited to the occasion. So a couple of things came up in that game that uh, that we'll touch on. But before we before we touch on that, I think I should mention that we did manage to sneak in one last play test before Brandywine. I think we ended our last episode of this podcast bemoaning the fact that we were out of time and, you know, here we go, we're going to Brandywine. Well, I am really glad that we snuck in that last playtest. Yeah, that playtest actually confirmed for me. We learned a few things from there, but it really tightened it down, and I, I left feeling like that was a great battle, a good test, and we had something that would work. Yeah, totally agreed. And and a, a a big part of the reason for that, in my opinion, is that the guy that we had in that play test was Chow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gamed with Chow for years. You have as well. But, you know, one of the things I really appreciate in gaming with him is that he is a rule author. He's been a designer. He's designed and published many systems. And he still does a lot of homebrews. And I think he's even working on a couple of systems right now. He might want to publish one day. So it's it's always helpful to play with someone who's not just a gamer. Right. They're a rule designer, so he was looking at this through a different lens, and not only was he able to point out a couple of aspects of the game that he thought were problematic, he was able to propose some solutions to those that kind of helped us clean up, particularly the way that units get into combat with each other. That's right. Uh, yeah, and he set up some good tests. I mean, he, so he's playing the game, but he also... For example, the column assaults, we had a river situation to experiment with that, and and he he pointed out some of the uh, Closing flaws fire. we had, right. that we needed more fire coming from the defenders to have any chance of 
dealing with those and closing fire which is a concept not unusual uh, we we then added that to the system and it was it, it was a good ad yeah yeah he, he definitely helped to clean that up so there were a number of ways that I, I think we, we tightened up the game at the 11th hour before we got to Brandywine and it worked very well at Brandywine but there were one or two things that came up in that game that players were asking about that we hadn't really <laughs> encountered before and the big one that's coming to mind for me that everybody started attaching their leaders to artillery mm -hmm. which is something that never happened in any of our play tests but the players were rightly pointing out that this was the best way to use your leader because in our game we allowed the leaders to lend their star rating to shooting well, if you attach your leader to artillery, uh, at close range, the artillery does double hits in our game. So everybody, everybody was attaching their leaders to batteries and getting these like crazy rolls from artillery fire, uh, which was obviously inappropriate, but a really easy fix moving right. forward. Well, I remember thinking during the child play test as I was going through, you know, obviously some of this has been in motion. Um, okay, what are we doing with this? And uh, I thought about that then. Well, hmm. why not attach a leader? But here's the deal. Most games, a lot of war games, artillery is really hard to use to get into place sometimes because you're often masked yes. by your own troops. Yes. And that actually at Brandywine, so the, the demonstration, it was real and it had an effect. But for example, the, the Hessians who were attacking didn't get to use their artillery at all, despite having a lot of it, just for that reason, because they were attacking and masking their units. So it's one of those things where you have to have the right playtest environment to get it come out. In this case, it was the American line, the Marylanders who were under severe pressure, and they happened to have some batteries there and noticed they could add their leaders to it. Um, but, you know, it did have the unintended consequence that they became grand batteries. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and in terms of overall balance for the day, it wasn't, I think it was okay, but it clearly isn't something you'd want to persist in the rules. No, no. I think that's that's definitely one that now that we're done Brandywine, we can, we can clean that up. But overall, yeah, I, I don't know if you had any kind of other final observations from that day at Brandywine, but I, I left there thinking, yeah, this, this looks good, this feels good. We got great feedback from both veteran players from our club and also, as you pointed out, the, the new people who, after the first hour, those guys were really getting into it. And anytime you run a game for new players, it is fun to kind of see that evolution where at first they're wondering what the hell's going on, and then suddenly they don't need you anymore. <laughs> they're running the game themselves, and that is, that's the sign of a, a good system. Uh, no, I, I think uh, I think it really solidified there with a few tweaks. Uh, you know, we had added the morale check also from the child mm -hmm. play test. That's right. Which was essentially when you take a base casualty anytime, that's the only time you check for morale. Uh, and that, I think, worked well in the child game, and it worked well at Brandywine as well. I think that was a very clean way of, one, getting more elasticity with units falling back out of battle range a bit more. Um, and I think that worked as well. Uh, but beyond that, um, I, I think it, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that was a good one to mention. I kind of forgot because during the development of this, we debated, well, should we have morale? And if we do, what should be the circumstances? Because, you know, frankly, there are a lot of potential circumstances for testing morale, but I'm really glad that we, we narrowed that down and only tied it to when you take a casualty. Yeah. because that was clean and for the new players that was important because there's a lot going on 
but it was easy, I think, for people to remember, hey, anytime I take a bass, that's that's when I have to take the morale test. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, we've had a philosophy throughout this. We knew we wanted it a one-pager mm -hmm. back and front, uh, but it, it's been very interesting to make those trade-offs like hey we know we want eventually we decided we want to add morale it's often complicated and it can happen too many times in many rule sets yes um and we finally found one but i think it was key to kind of because we had those constraints on us we knew it had to be simple uh easy to remember when to do and effective i think it, it, it we had the result from it so it's funny when uh when i was driving down to the brandywine game on my, on my way to brandywine that day I listened to the recording of our first podcast that we did and it was very funny to listen to that because I don't know if you recall this this is now going back a couple of months earlier in the summer when we started this whole thing where it was like oh yeah you know we found loose files in American Scramble this looks great you know maybe one or two tweaks you know <laughs> one or two we're gonna leave most of it but it, this is perfect and here we are you know uh, all these months later and it's I, I guess it's still recognizable as some of the origins of loose files, but we made uh, we ended up making a lot more changes to the game than we anticipated. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I think you you might recognize it, but you also may, might recognize it because loose files have been around long enough that that's it's influenced right. a lot of systems. But yeah, we we went through. I remember that first episode. I gave it a listen as well. You know, each of the sections, mm -hmm. command and control, you know, firing and so forth, and talked about what we might adjust or keep and honestly through the whole course we probably ended up we we did some immediate surgery we, we do right. things like command and control we wanted to fix but other things eventually i think everything got touched at some point to bring it into coherence right, right. you can't just have kind of a bolt on and i think the field what i like about the field of the rules is that it does seem like a coherent set of rules not a not a bunch of paste you know or bolt-ons from other systems well that that what you just mentioned there i think is a really important point for anybody who's working on homebrew rules who might be listening to this it's it's really easy to take a, somebody else's game and and bolt something on but what i think sometimes people fail to remember is that every change you make to someone else's game has knock-on consequences there's there there's a reason that people wrote rules the way that they did and when you start making adjustments there are other impacts and we you know in some sense we're guilty of that in some of our play tests you know we we made what we thought were some innocent changes to loose files and then in our play tests realized ooh wait a minute we we're, we're going to have to make another change as a result of this change and then of course before you know it you've snowballed into <laughs> into whole other territory areas we said we didn't we weren't going to touch it's like well it oops doesn't make sense anymore so. <laughs> Well, that's again. It goes back to though, and, and this is for anybody who's doing it. Play testing. You can discuss it. You can think about it yourself. But until you have players, uh, particularly players who might be looking for ways to beat it. Yes. Um, you and that's know, you, what you want. That's right. You want a player like Miles. That's right. Who's there trying to poke holes in your game, and he poked a bunch of holes. That's from the very beginning, and, and that you learned every play test. We learned a number of things usually. Uh, and it, it just made it a lot better. And, and the final product, I think, shows that. So, before we get off of this topic, uh, one other, I think, maybe funny change to mention that came up very, very late in our last playtest 
is when you know we're calling out the demoralization points right because the original we kept demoralization points that's actually one of my favorite parts of loose files in american scramble and until very recently we continued calling them demoralization points and it wasn't until like halfway through the playtest with chow when i think i was bellowing out you know Mark disruption a, points. Yeah, right. Oh, yes, yes. Dis disruption points. Yeah, it's like, uh, mark a DP. And we kept saying, you know, DPs, DPs. And Chow looks at us and he's like, guys, you you know that means something else now, right? <laughs> I think, maybe, you know, maybe back when in the uh, in the 80s when Andy wrote the original game, he wasn't, wasn't, as he, he wasn't thinking about the modern connotation of DP. Uh, and so we, we did change that. That's right. Going into the, the <laughs> going we, into the Brandywine game. That's right. We may have, if we ever tried to use these rules for Vietnam we, or for uh, Korea or whatever, we might have to change them again. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because we ended up with DMZ. DMZ, yeah. Which is a, a, a Chipko Age of Hannibal uh, connotation for demoralization, which is still very much in keeping with the terminology, Absolutely. I think. The intended Absolutely. terminology, but DMZ doesn't have the same... Uh, Sexual innuendo as uh, mark a DP. So I guess uh, I don't know, Tom. Does this bring us to the end of our of our long journey? Well, I hope not, Greg. Uh, you know, I I think I think the question is when are these ready to release or make available to our patrons or others who might be interested. I certainly think with the few tweaks we've made and your you know polish, uh, they would be. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to playing some more AWI battles with them. Well, we have these huge armies. We have these huge armies. You know, we, we can do any battle from the revolution. Pick the largest battle of any uh, genre, and then you'll never have to yeah. go back. Yeah, we're never going to have to go back. So, yeah, I, I agree. I know, and we've talked off-air before about how, you know, we want to work on some other scenarios and do other things. And, and that does get into, I think we touched on this in our last podcast, is the maybe the decision making that goes into this when you're doing a homebrew set of rules do I release this game do I not release this game uh, we have lots of guys in our club you and I included who have dabbled in writing many games and never released them mm -hmm. you know it, you don't always get to the point where it feels like a, a fully fleshed out product sometimes it, you just you can't take it over the finish line and you want to keep dabbling or right. you know you just don't want to release it out into the wild but i think this is definitely one where you and i both feel why not right i mean it's a great it's a great game and i think that there's a market out there for people who, who wouldn't mind a fast army level alternative for the revolution i agree one of the reasons we found ourselves in this position was one we had a battle we had the trust Right. You know, we wanted a simpler set of rules, but we also, honestly, we've played a lot of rules. Yes. Uh, and there was always thoughts about, I like this part of it, I like that part, but uh, I certainly think this one, uh, a lot of people would enjoy this. Um, you know, depending on what scale you do, there's a variety of things you can go with there, but just as the size of actions, mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's going to be very useful. Yeah, so I guess, you know, as, as we as we go from here, anytime you want to release a homebrew set of rules, you know, look, there's all different levels that you can do here. You know, there's people who just sort of type up a Microsoft Word document, release that out into the wild. You can put on, I think, whatever level of sort of polish that you want. But this is going to give me the opportunity to foray into a, a little bit of a rant here. I personally think that it has gotten so easy to publish rules 
that now you can go to a place like War Games Vault, and it is just polluted. I mean, it is littered with, there are literally like thousands of games available there. And it's tough, because on the one hand, you say, well, that's great. You know, we're lowering the barrier to entry. People can now publish games. There's more games available. And, and as a creator, that is a wonderful thing. I got to be honest, as a consumer of war game rules, I kind of hate it because there's so much choice that there is now no middleman, there is no editor, there's no barrier anymore. So we're just awash in all of these games, and a lot of them aren't any good. And that's that's the downside, I think, to the new world we're living in, where with the click of a button, anybody with Microsoft Word and an internet connection can can publish a game, basically. Well, I'm a consumer on uh, some of those sites, you know, war games, and it's true. It's easy to click on and, oh, this looks interesting. I'm getting into this period. I'll see what's out there. And and by and large, most are not finished things that I would end up using for a war game. They could be start, so it's a contribution people are making, but they're not, they're not standalone rule sets that... Uh, you know, you know where to go for answers, for example. Right. I mean, I think that's part of it. If you're really going to put something out there, what are you going to... We, we, it's one of the scores we give rules in our reviews. Support. What's the support? Right. And if that's just, hey, I'm willing to answer email questions, well, be prepared to do that, right? Right. Uh, but, you know, I think that's, that's probably the test for, if I'm going to put this out there, am I willing to uh, answer questions and, you know, explain things and provide errata or whatever to to keep the community going if people are willing to spend the time on my rules. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, if, if we are going to put this AWI system out into the world, you know, I would never do that unless we were prepared to offer scenarios, you know, more than Brandywine. I mean, yeah, I, I'm of the opinion you, you do have to give that level of support. You know, we're going to have to have a nice website page. The rules will actually have to look pretty. <laughs> so some graphic design and some layout, which I've already started tinkering with that, and I think you've seen a little bit of that. But that's kind of what makes it tricky, because I, I feel like if we're going to put this out there, I want to be able to offer people scenarios and support. But those do take time to develop. And our Brandywine episode is going to be airing in September. So, you know, it's a question of timing. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, uh, you know, people are going to want to play this game or see this game when the episode comes out. Which is only a month and a half from now. Right. Well, um, and you're busy editing that. Yeah, right, right. There's some, video, <laughs> there's some video editing to be done. So it might be a question of, look, how many scenarios can we reasonably put together and, and if it's only a few then I don't only know. a few maybe that's enough you know with some variety on size you know what what will this book that we're gonna put out contain I mean the rules are short so a couple of pages is basically gonna cover the rules I think we want we would want to include a few scenarios a quick reference page which we already made and uh, so I, yeah I don't know maybe as we're talking about it it's not as much as I thought I mean I think you got a good head start on the scenarios I saw you had done uh, I, I think it's doable I'm, I think uh, I think the timing would be right. So the other question, I guess, that's on my mind as we as we think about this is um, whether to give the rules away for free, which is certainly in keeping with the the mantra of our channel. I mean, last year we gave away Raven Feast as a free game, so I'm I'm definitely a proponent of that. Or do we want to try to? And another angle I considered that I I mentioned to you is uh, do we want to try to make them available for sale cheaply and maybe. Uh, Maybe donate some of that money to the American Battlefield Trust. Uh, maybe we, you know, do a partnership with right. them where gamers can feel good about the fact that, hey, if I pay a couple bucks for this, I'm, I'm going to support a good charity. 
Yeah, I think that's I I like that idea. Um, I think uh, either idea, either free, and then you know we could follow scenarios for folks. But um, I like the trust tie-in. Um, certainly, you know, um, I think would be a great motivation for people to you know, right. buy the rules and know that they're they're helping to support that. It's a great organization. Um, so I think either of those could go. But either way, I think uh, you know we're going to find the. The best way to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. Well, I, I mean, the best way to get it into people's hands would be to charge a lot of money, <laughs> and then we get rich, uh, and we can buy a beach house somewhere and, and go retire. So that that would be my preferred option. That's, I will not object to that if you think there's a pathway. <laughs> the problem is I don't, by the way. <laughs> I, I do not think there is a pathway. Uh, anybody listening to this, I can tell you from experience, having been in the rural business for over a decade now, this is not a get-rich-quick uh, kind of business, that's for sure. <laughs> this snake's in the garden Blood on the vines Every time I slip away It feels like a crime